0: Welcome to The Heart Zone, a podcast ministry of Currensville Christian Church, featuring the teaching ministry of George Cannon. For more information about Currensville Christian Church, visit us on the web at www.currensvillechristian.org. And now, for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George. All right, if you have your Bibles... We're going to look at two different passages today, and uh, I'd like you to first of all turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, that's uh, page 959 if you're using a pew Bible. Now we're getting back, we took a couple of weeks off for, of course, in preparation for Christmas and different things we wanted to look at about prayer. We're getting back to our series, The Coming Storm." And what we're doing with this series is is we're trying to understand the events that lead up to or that are involved with the end of all things, the coming of Christ. And the reason why we're doing this study is that we, I have found even, you know, it doesn't, a week doesn't go by that somebody is typically telling me something that really expresses their lack of understanding in an area concerning the end times or the significant things about the end times or significant people about the end times. And sometimes it is because they just don't understand or sometimes it's simply because they're ignorant. But the problem is, is that there's so many of us now that are out there without an understanding of some basic things about the end times that we are susceptible to whatever co- whoever comes along and who might tell us something that seems crazy. That's especially true today with the subject that we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the man of sin. He goes by a lot of different names in the Scripture. In Daniel, he's known as the prince, When you get to the New Testament, he's known by the common name that we all know, Antichrist. He's also known as the beast. Revelation refers to him as the beast. But the reality is, is that he is an evil human being who will appear at the beginning of what is the final time, the final seventh, seventh, the seventieth week, the seven years of tribulation? But yet there are really a misunderstanding about who he is. And here's what I find today. Okay. And I was thinking about this this week as I was preparing the message. As you know, I've been a believer since 1985. And since 1985, I have found that within the church, there are two extremes when it comes to this guy. Two extremes that I'm just going to put out there for you, for you to consider, okay? So the first one is this. There is a tendency to, to identify every leader as the Antichrist. Every leader. What do you mean a tendency? Well, I'm just going to give you a few, few names of some people that I've mentioned this to you before who have been identified as the Antichrist. So... I'm going to go way back. I'm not going to use current people because that just will inflame people. I don't want to do that. So I'll go with people who are dead. Okay? So let's start with back in the 80s. The Antichrist was identified with, are you ready for this? Some of you may need to hold on to your seat. Ronald Reagan. Okay? Ronald Reagan was considered the Antichrist by some folks in evangelical circles. Why? Two reasons. Number one, He won by a landslide, so obviously he was very popular. Number two, he suffered an assassination attempt and suffered a mortal wound. And so everybody thought, not everybody, but there were people who thought that this is the Antichrist. The other one was Mikhail Gorbachev, the leader of the Soviet Union. Well, why? Because he's the enemy of an enemy empire, but also because he had this unusual birthmark on his head that people were identifying and saying that was the mark of the beast. Now, both of those guys, they have something in common today. Does anybody know what they have in common today? Yeah, they're dead, okay? They're dead. I can name off others. Saddam Hussein. Pope John Paul II. Why him? World leader, Many followers, very popular, suffered an assassination attempt and survived. What I'm trying to say to you is a year doesn't go by where I hear this one extreme. Typically, it's with every election or every emergence of some leader on the world scene. And someone will come to me. It will usually be over lunch or coffee or something. Sometimes I'm with another pastor. I've had this happen where a pastor would say to me, oh, he's the Antichrist. Really? I had that happen to me about 10 years ago. Really, that guy, that that leader, you believe he's the Antichrist? Yeah, look at how popular he is. People just love him. Oh. That's interesting. Here's not what I've typically found is when people do that, it's usually the guy they didn't vote for. Do you know what I'm saying? And they're trying to find a reason why the guy won. So therefore, he must be the Antichrist. Now, that's one extreme that's out there. Now, the problem is, folks, that's nice. We can laugh about it. and Maybe, but time will reveal. But the problem is, that's not being biblical. Here's the second one. Here's the second one. The second extreme is, is that there's also a tendency to ignore his characteristics in our leaders. There's also a tendency to ignore the characteristics of the Antichrist in our leader. Now, what do you mean by that? Okay? What I mean by that is, the scripture is very clear. 2 Thessalonians First, First John chapter two, Revelation, Daniel, even uh, Zechariah. There are instances where we are reflective of the reality of who this leader is and what marks him. There are character traits that come out of these passages about who this leader is like and what he is like. Well, the fact is, we're going to see here in a moment. He's not just one person. You say there's not one, just one antichrist? Well, there are many antichrists. There's only one, and we'll talk about the one in a moment. But there are leaders who reflect antichrist traits. Really? Yeah. Think about it. Would everybody agree with me that Adolf Hitler was a type of antichrist? Yeah. Mao Zedong. Joseph Stalin. Those are the bad guys that we've selected. But there are other leaders who express the same type. Now, the problem is we have the extreme where everybody's the Antichrist. The other extreme is we ignore the traits. We ignore the characteristics of leaders who are like the Antichrist for whatever reason. I think one reason is, Scripture makes it very clear, deception. Deception. We can easily be deceived. Now, that's not possible for a Christian. Really? Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, is an interesting verse that talks about the reality that even the elect will be deceived by who? The Antichrist. It's that easy. So we've got those two extremes. Now, what do we do with it? Okay? What do we do with it so that we don't end up in both places? Well, as we're doing this study on understanding the end times, understanding the significant issues of the end, we've got to talk about the man of sin. Now, why do we talk about the man of sin? So that we don't operate in those two extremes, but operate in the middle, where we're aware, but our focus is on faith. So how do we do that? Well, we're going to look at two passages today. I'm not going to go to Revelation. We could spend a lot of time in Revelation. I would encourage you, if you want to go to Revelation, you can go to any of our Sunday school lessons that are online. And uh, you can look there when we talk about the beast. There's more detailed information there. But I'm going to focus on 1 John chapter 2. It's going to address the whole issue of why do we think everybody's the Antichrist. And then we're going to look at the one, which is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So let's look, first of all, at 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Here's what John writes. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard the an- that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Now, here's what I'm going to first talk to you about. Before we get to talking about the one, I need to talk about the many. So here's John. He's writing this letter probably about A.D. 90, okay? He's the last surviving apostle at this point. And he's writing a church, he refers to them as children, obviously he would be very old by this point. He has, of all the other apostles, they're all dead, Paul's dead, they're all dead, he's the last one, and he's making sure that they understand some understanding about the Antichrist. And he's telling them some things that I think are very important for you and I to understand. So first of all, we need to recognize that we're living in the last days. You say, oh, it's been 2,000 years, George. Yeah, I understand that. But you're still living in the last days. And you need to be aware that at some point there is someone coming. There is going to emerge a leader who is a false messiah. Now, he's not going to get up and say, I'm Jesus Christ, although he might. But the point is, is that He is the one that the world or people of the world are going to look to in hope. That somehow this guy is going to be the solution to all of their problems. That somehow he's going to make all things right. And he's going to come across that way. Antichrist is false messiah. That's what it means. A false messiah. Now, the thing is, is that you need to be aware is that we live in a time, the last days, and Jesus has told us there will be many false messiahs. And so fact, here's what it is. I want you to understand, we have to recognize that leaders will emerge that are types of antichrist. That's what John is saying here. If you look at what verse 18 says, look at what it says you have heard that Antichrist is coming. So yes, we all know Antichrist is coming, right? But here's what he says. So now many Antichrists have come. There is the reality. Now he's writing in AD 90. Folks, fast forward, we're in 2023, getting ready to be in 2024. And you have seen the validity of this. There is the tendency of leaders to emerge who are like Antichrist. In fact, there's a guy right now in Asia. Who? He has his own little country, his own little hermitage. He believes he's God. His country believes he's God. In fact, his country believed that his father was God and that before him his grandfather was God. He has his own religion. It's called Juke. That is the name of his religion, and they believe he is deity. He is convinced that he is deity. The problem is, that's antichrist christ like b- b- behavior, right? Wouldn't you say that? We're going to see that here in a moment when we talk about the one. The problem is, is leaders sometimes can get so egotistical. That's the issue, isn't it? They can get so egotistical that they think they're it. And they're the only solution to the problems of the world. And with that comes followers who believe that their leader is what? The one who will bring solutions. So for instance, I can attest to this. In Germany, my background, I'm half German. My relatives are from Germany. They lived through World War II. They lived through the Nazi era, starting in the 30s, going up to 1945. Der Führer is what Adolf Hitler was called. That word Führer in German means leader. And they believed that he was going to be the solution to bring them out of their problems that were very much a part of their culture after World War I. And so they put their trust in one man. People can do that. See, the reality is, is if we're going to understand the issue of the son of the, the man of sin, the son of perdition or destruction. We need to understand, first of all, the reality of many. So when somebody says to you, I think so-and-so is the Antichrist, yeah, that's an extreme. But the reality is it's also pointing to the fact that there are many Antichrist-type leaders. So you need to be aware of it. But out of those many Antichrist-type leaders comes one. And so that's where we're going to talk about right now, the one. So I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now again, just for background, the Thessalonians were really wrestling with this whole issue about the end times. They had people who had come and told them that things had already taken place, had already happened. And he's telling him, no, 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 this, this hasn't happened yet. And so he's kind of going through them. In his first letter, he talked about the rapture. He talked about the reality of what it's going to be like. And then again, in his second letter, he's going to go a little bit further. Here, he's going to talk about the man of sin. So let's take a look. We're going to look at verses 1 to 12. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we speak to, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. All right, so stop. So here he is. Don't be worked up like it's already happened. Somebody's told you it's already happened. Even if it seems like it came from us, because it came from a letter from us. Paul's wanting to calm them down. All right, so here it is. Look with me, verse three. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. The man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God will send them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. All right, so what we're going to do here is, there's a lot of stuff here, but I want to focus on four main things from this passage to help you to understand. Four main things that will help us to understand this man of sin, this Antichrist. Now, there are many, many who reflect his characteristics. We know that through history, we even see them today. But there's one who's coming. And you can know some definite things about when he's coming. Okay, so let's talk about it. All right, so first of all, I want you to understand The end will not begin until this man of sin is revealed. All right, so I don't know about you, but I've had people tell me that we're living in the tribulation right now. Have you ever had somebody say that to you? Have you ever heard that? We're living in the end right now, George, it's happening. The tribulation, all this stuff that's going on, stuff's going on in our nation, stuff going on in our world, we're in it, we're in the midst of it. No, 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 wait a minute, you don't understand. Paul's telling you right here, certain things have to take place first for the end to come. What do you mean? Okay, so let's look at them. Look with me, okay? Verse 3, let no one deceive you in any way. So first of all, don't get lied to. Don't be deceived, all right? Several things have to take place. Here's the first one. Unless the rebellion comes first. Now, what rebellion? That's the rebellion against God. That's where the world rejects God. Okay? The rebellion comes first. We see a a turning away from God worldwide. Second of all, here's what he says, the man of lawlessness. Lawlessness there is also the man of sin is revealed. When the man of sin is revealed, okay, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God. So here's two things I'm showing you here that must take place. And then next, further on, he talks about the removal of the restrainer. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. So first of all, we're not living in it right now. When will he be revealed? Well, Look with me Daniel chapter 9 the 70th week that 70th week that final 7 years when does it begin Daniel tells us verse 27 and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week and for half a week he shall put an end to the sacrifice of offering and the wings of abomination sh- on the wings of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decree ends is poured out On the desolator. So that final week, that final seven year period, that end isn't going to begin until he makes a covenant with who? Israel. By the way, has anybody made a peace treaty with Israel yet? No. Okay, so we see many anti-type-like people now, but the revelation of the Antichrist isn't going to take place till when? Later. And how do we know it? He's the guy who makes a treaty with Israel that brings peace. But only in the midst of that seven years of peace, it's going to change. Why? Well, here's the second thing I want you to see about him. The man of sin will see himself as the only true God. The man of sin will see himself as the only true God. Now, is that possible for a guy to think that? Yeah, I've already told you about one dude who lives over across the sea from us, and another, he thinks he's God, his whole nation thinks he's God. That can happen. Folks, the Caesars in Rome, why do you think they offered incense to the, to the, to the emperor, because they thought he was, not that everybody kind of believed it, but they thought that he was a what? God. And some of the Caesars, Caesars thought they were God, till somebody killed them, then they realized they weren't. But the reality is, is humanity and ego can get to the place where they think what? They're it. And they demand what? Loyalty from everyone. This is the reality I want you to see here. So the man of sin will see himself as the only true God. In fact, this guy will see himself as the only true God in what way? That in that future temple, which by the way isn't there right now, he will stop the sacrifices in the temple, which is the epitome of what the Jews are wanting, their temple. He will stop the sacrifices by saying he's God. He will desecrate the place, make it desolate. Isn't that interesting? You say, George, oh, that temple thing, are you one of those guys who believe that's going to happen? Yeah, I believe it. Why do you believe that? Well, because I'm reading the news. And I'm reading about a conference that just took place in Pakistan with all of these nations of the Islamic world, the Muslim world, coming together, and their focus of the conference is to make sure, this is what they said, to make sure that Israel doesn't get the Temple Mount back. They're convinced that Israel wants to build a temple again. Isn't that interesting? In fact, in that conference, what made the news was is that they were calling for Pakistan to use its nuclear bombs against who? Israel. That's interesting, isn't it? That really would escalate things, wouldn't it? But why? To keep the Temple Mount away from who? The Jews? Why? Because the Jews want to build their temple. But at some point, they'll be able to. Maybe it's through this Antichrist or whatever. But at some point, there will be a temple, and this guy... Whoever he is, that one who thinks he's above every God, he's the only God, will go there and say that he's God and desecrate the place. This is what he's like. Here's the second, third thing I want you to see. The mystery of lawlessness, again, the mystery of sin... It's not just like it's some hidden mysterious thing. It's a thing that hasn't been revealed. There is a factor of sin that's happening in our world. The mystery of sin is being restrained by the Holy Spirit until he is removed. So the Spirit is at work in our world right now, restraining sin. Where's that Spirit? Within his believers, and at some point that will be removed. How does that get removed? The removal of the church, folks. The removal of believers. The rapture. This is what I want you to understand. So this time of lawlessness will be is being restrained, but the by the Holy Spirit. But the, also, if you look at verses eight through twelve he points out that this leader is not just some charismatic guy that everybody's following, that everybody thinks is going to bring them hope and redemption and all kinds of things, whatever they think their society needs to be like. He's going to be supported by, are you ready for this? He will be supported in his deception by Satan. Who is very real. Who is the liar and the deceiver. And he will be supported by Satan. This is the reality. But here's the final thing I want you to see. And this is where I want you to see, because we can get so freaked out. And this is one of the things that bothers me today. So we see Antichrist type leaders around the world, okay? We maybe even think that we have them in our own country. Maybe we do. But for believers, I'm trying to tell you don't. Get freaked out. Why? Here's the final point. I want you to see. His destruction is sure as Jesus Christ will destroy him. Look with me. Verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom Jesus Christ will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Jesus Christ is going to destroy him. You want a little bit further than that? Look with me at Revelation chapter 19, verse 20. Here, the Antichrist is referred to as the beast. And the beast was captured, the scripture says. And with it, the false prophet, who is in its presence, who in its presence had done... Signs by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worship the image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. They're not even going to be at the final judgment, folks. When Jesus comes, he's going to destroy them by just going ahead and casting them into the lake of fire, hell, period. So don't get freaked out. So, okay, George, here we are. How do we wrap this up? What's our purpose in looking at this one dude who is the dude of evil? What is is our purpose here, okay? All right, I'm going to give you a couple of things. Number one, let's go back to the two extremes. Don't get overly... Psyched out, freaked out, where you think that every time some guy shows up and he might be popular with people, that he's it. It's easy to fall into that trap. I can fall into that trap. Don't get freaked out. Bottom line, you can fall to the extreme where it's like everything is him or every person who shows up is him. Like, for instance, there's a new leader that is now the leader of Argentina. During his campaign, he showed up. He got all the people to go for him. He showed up at his campaign events with a chainsaw, like he's going to chop down things with a chainsaw. And and he's now the leader of Argentina. And people were all excited. Now they're not excited. It's only been a month since he's been elected. Because they got some problems, and it's going to hurt to get through the problems. But the point is, people... Rally around leaders who they think is going to solve their problems. It's been going on for centuries, folks. And will continue for centuries. So be careful. Be aware. What are the characteristics? But don't get freaked out. Number two. Don't be ignorant, though. Don't be dismissive. Don't look and say, well, that's not possible. We're not there yet. This type of guy doesn't show up. Look, the problem is this leader who makes the peace treaty and that's when the end begins, he's a leader before the peace treaty happens, right? Right? He'll emerge before it happens. In fact, the the emphasis that we see in Thessalonians is is you'll kind of know who he is. How will we kind of know? It's because we have educated ourselves to the type of person that he is. And that's really what the issue is. Don't be ignorant. Be aware of the type of leader that might one day be the guy who is. Do you understand? Don't get worked up, but also find a balance and be aware. It's interesting. I, 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 there's a story from my family that I found was interesting. So I told you that my I'm half German, so I have relatives who are, are German, and uh, I have grandparents who are German. <clears throat> and my grandmother told me a story she lived through the fall of Berlin. She was a refugee from what is now Russia, was East East Prussia at that time, once was Germany, and she fled there as the Russians were coming. She fled to Berlin, which is where my grandfather's family was from. And she went there, and the rest of her family went down to southern Germany, to the Airfoot area, Zamada area, which would then later become East Germany. She was in what would be West Germany. I'm, I'm what they call a Yalta baby. What do you mean by that, George? Well, if you know history, in Yalta, Stalin, Churchill, and uh, Roosevelt got together, and they decided how to divide up Europe. And when they divided up Europe, they decided this would be West Germany, this would be East Germany, this would be West Berlin, this would be East Berlin. And what happened at the end is, okay, so the Americans came into what was the southern part of East Germany, with Patton. The Russians took all of Berlin, and so because of that agreement, on a certain day, they withdrew to the predetermined lines. So my grandmother's family were in Zamada, and so there they are. When they went there, there were American soldiers there. But on that predetermined day, the American soldiers withdrew. The Russians came in. That became a communist nation. My grandmother was in Berlin, which was all Russian, but then on that certain predetermined day, guess what? The Americans took over that section of West Berlin. It is one of those soldiers who was there later in the 60s, my dad, who met my mom. And so here I am. I'm a baby of Yalta, okay? All right, now here's what I'm going to tell you. Interesting thing happened. My great-grandfather on my mother's side, was a Nazi Party member. He joined the Nazi Party in East Prussia. It was the popular thing to do. And I remember my grandmother telling me that there was a time when Hitler came to East Kernersburg, which was the provincial capital at that time, for a rally. And of course, my grandfather put on his uniform his brown uniform with his armband and went to the rally. And when he came back, he hung his uniform up on a nail and never took it down again. He saw something that night that made him determine, "I need out of this, but how do you get out of it when you're in a country that's dominated by that? And so he every time they'd have a party meeting, he would send a note saying he was sick. And then my grandmother at that time was a teenager. She would write the notes. He's still sick. He can't come. And of course the war ended. So now they're in East Germany. And so my cousins, they're my cousins, were deciding what to do now should they join the Communist Party. So this would be during the 70s. And so my grandfather gave them a piece of advice that I thought was pretty profound. He said, don't join any party. Don't put your trust in any man because you will be disappointed. And I thought that's interesting. There's some wisdom there for us as believers. We understand what the guy who will come is like. Be aware and be weary. Hold on loosely to who you put your trust in. Because there's only one you should put your trust in. Right, folks? Who's that? The true Messiah. Jesus. And that's what we study this for. We understand what's going to happen so that we can answer people who say crazy things right now. But we're also very cautious because one day there will be a leader who will arise. And he will be popular And he will make a peace treaty with Israel. But the problem is, that dude thinks he's God. And then begins the other things that happen in the end. Something to think about. Let me pray for you.